Hello and welcome to Mega City Book Club, the podcast all about the galaxy's greatest comics. I'm Eamon Clark, and it's a warm welcome back from episode 125, all the way from Dubai to Giles Wright. Giles, good morning. Very good morning to you, Eamon, and uh, delighted to be back. Thank you very much for the uh, for the return bout. No, it's it's a, it's a pleasure. Um, it's an interesting book you've chosen, which we'll get to in a moment. But first of all, how is life in Dubai at the moment? What's happening with lockdown restrictions and so on there now? Well, we uh, broke. I mean, I think like the UK and Israel and Bahrain, we are probably the top three um, countries for vaccinations. So. Yeah, we have been out of lockdown for a long time, um, nine months maybe, something like that. I mean, everybody still wears masks when they leave the house and they're outside. Restaurants are restaurants and bars are sort of eighty percent capacity. There's a limit on the people on the people um, on the tables, but life is sort of if you squint your eyes back to normal. I mean, um, I've been. I, I even sat at a bar uh, two weeks ago to uh, to order a drink, which was uh, extraordinary. But yeah, there are events going on. Uh, there's concerts. There's all sorts. Yeah, it's it's uh, almost, as I say, almost back to uh, how it used to be. Great. And um, the comic buying and reading experience over there, because I know you mentioned there's a comic shop that you frequent. Um, I presume you know they're back open, and you're buying stuff and reading stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm doing a lot of, uh, obviously buying a lot of stuff digitally. Uh, I mean, I, I went deep in the um, uh, recent Humble Bundle uh, deal that was on, uh, ended a couple of weeks ago. And I buy the Prog and the Meg digitally. But yeah, this um, local comic shop uh, used to have a bit of a, a tough time uh, with Diamond. But actually, they've recently been uh, getting a lot of good stuff in. So I picked up uh, False Witness from IDW and Hershey Disease last week. I got Guatemala about two weeks before that. I've got Lawless 3 on order. That should be with me any moment. So yeah, they can more or less get whatever I want in, in the shop. And it, you know, the price is uh, reasonable. It hasn't got um, a, massive, a massive sort of uh, oversell on it. Great stuff. Well, it's, I am, you know, I'm delighted that they're, uh, they're still there and they're still surviving it. You're still getting the stuff, which is great. Tell us, um, what is today's book that you've chosen for a return visit to the book club? Uh, today's book is Think Angel Legacy from 2016. So we've both got, I guess, either a digital or a hard copy of this trade in front of us. Uh, this collects stories from Progs 193 to 196, 281 to 288, and then the Judge Dread magazine 273 to 277 and 328 to 330. The years where we go all the way back to 1981 and all the way up to 2012. I think it's John Wagner and Alan Grant throughout. We've got... Um, quite a nice foursome of artists Mick McMahon, Carlos Esquera, Pete Doherty and Tin and Trevelyan with letters throughout by Tom Frame, Tony Jacob and Annie Parkhouse and I guess Steve McManus editing the first two stories and then the second two stories it's Matt Smith so we've gone from the political intrigue of Megacity Justice where you took me through the sort of end of the Tour of Duty storyline and we've switched to, I'm going to say, a bit of a change, some cursed earth craziness. Why have you chosen this book for us? Well, I mean, there is, there is a change. You're absolutely right. But equally, there's quite a few similarities between the two, between Mega City Justice and um, the stories in this, uh, in this volume. 
there's formidable villains and there's plenty of desperate moments throughout. So there's, there's the usual dread through lines and it's as exciting as, um, as Mega City Justice was. So give us a quick recap. We've got two sort of classic golden era uh, stories to begin with and then two later stories to talk about. Um, who's Fink Angel? Uh, what's the sort of setup of these stories for us? So uh, the recap is, I mean, a little bit like um, there was a recap um, from previous stories in the last one. Uh, so three months before the first Fink story in 1981, the Judge Child quest ended. And th- that was one of the early mega epics. And for that series, Wagner and Grant created an amoral, brutish Texas City family called the Angel Gang to kidnap Owen Chrysler, the Judge Child. And at the end of that quest, spoilers, Dread wipes the whole family out. Um, and as I understand it, almost immediately, Tharg started getting lots and lots of mail from readers mourning the loss of these characters. And then even John Wagner began to realize that he'd made a terrible mistake. He'd created these four, um, okay, Link Angel is pretty terrible and underwritten, but these three incredible characters, and then he'd killed them off right away. Um, now, famously, 2000 AD has got a no resurrection policy. So he and Alan Grant did the next best thing. They created a fifth angel. Uh, and that's where our first story begins. With the story of Fink Angel, uh, let me just check. What is the actual title of that story? The Fink. Okay. And this is the one that's drawn by Mick McMahon. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is, as you say, the, the fifth member of the Angel Gang coming to Mega City One to get revenge for his family um, and take revenge on all those who were involved in the Judge, uh, the Judge Child quest. So, it's, I mean, it's a great early story and it's great stuff. You wanted to mention something about the choice of stories in this volume and the editing. Um, uh, yeah. So I think um, that, uh, you know, when, when we discuss, when fans discuss uh, these collected editions on this podcast, on uh, the forums, uh, elsewhere, um, we talk a lot about the writers. And, uh, of course, the artists uh, get a lot of attention. And to a lesser extent, um, the lettering and the colouring get to look in. But very rarely does the editing uh, get mentioned. And I think this book is hugely elevated by... The editing, not just what's included and how the stories are stacked against each other, but actually what is not included. Now, I know you've mentioned Steve McManus and Matt Smith, who were editing the stories as they appeared in their original, um, you know, the original publications. But I think the hero of the hour here for me is uh, Keith Richardson, who is graphic novels editor at Rebellion. He put this um, this thing together. So. There are four stories in the volume, two, the first two featuring Fink Angel and the next two featuring Rat Fink. And not only do the, the stories within the pairs complement each other, but I think there's a wonderful bit of mirroring going on between the two pairs, between the Rat Fink stories and the Fink stories. So, for instance, uh, the first story uh, starts with a pizzen ball whizzing out of the dark. The antagonist takes on a number of judges, bests a few of them, and it leads to a nail-biting climax. Um, in the first Ratfink story, it also opens with a pizzen ball flying out of the dark. Then Ratfink takes on and bests an entire troop of judges. And in that story, the stakes are raised so high that actually at any point in the story, you could believe that any one of the protagonists could meet their end. The second Fink story begins with a very audacious jailbreak and then becomes a revenge mission. 
And then Ratfink's Revenge, which is the second Ratfink story, also starts with an incredibly clever jailbreak before embarking on a revenge play. And while both of the first installments are pretty dark, and play it straight, uh, the next two have got humor injected uh, throughout them and there's a lot of goofy fun going on uh, in amongst the grim violence. Um, so that's what's included in this volume. But what marks this out for me as a great, great volume is what is not included. So there was a really fun three-parter in the Meg about 15, 16 years ago called Pizzen Impossible featuring uh, Fink Angel. Crazy story uh, by Cy Spurrier, crazy art. And actually, one of the covers in the gallery at the back of this edition is from that run. So it's not like the editors didn't know about it. It's really enjoyable. But I think if that story had been included, it would have thrown off the rhythm of the whole collection. And, I mean, there's a, there's a great rapping story from the Free Comic Book Day in 2016. Again, absolutely superb. It's dark. It's disgusting. It really captures the character of rapping. But it would not quite fit anywhere in this book. And then, I mean, if you want to go even further, there's, a, a, there's the Son of Ratty's Revenge, which was in one of the annuals back in the 90s, which is just awful. Uh, it's some pretty good Greg Staples art, but I don't know what Alan Grant was, was thinking when he was writing it. So perhaps if this book, instead of being called Think Angel Legacy, was called The Complete Think Angel, it should include those efforts as well, and maybe a couple of the angelic stories, uh, maybe Before They Was Dead, also by Sysperia. But I just think it wouldn't quite hold together and it wouldn't be as balanced and as beautiful a document as this thing that I'm holding in my hands right now, Fink Angel Legacy. Well, that's fascinating. I hadn't, I hadn't really spotted how closely the two stories or the two pairs of stories parallel each other. So yeah, shout out to Keith, who of course is a book clubber himself and hopefully I will get him back on at some point in the future. Yes, we'll talk a little bit about the parallels later on. Again, you mentioned the success of the Angel Gang. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think John Wagner probably realised as soon as he killed them off that it was a mistake because they, you know, uh, they were such a possibility of this sort of like crazy uh, criminal family. Of course, Dread, you know, characteristically always just shoots his... Um, his, uh, his his rogues gallery just kills them mostly. Is the Fink and then later the Rat Fink an obvious attempt to recreate some of that mad craziness of the uh, the angels? Yes, I, I I think they are, and I think both of them really fit um, into it. And obviously, uh, John Wagner and Alan Grant have got a good history of creating um, you know uh, outlaw ragamuffins. I don't know what you want to call them, rascals. And the Angel Gang, maybe at, at first glance, were just another one of those. But uh, obviously, you know, as we all know, anybody's read the Judge Star Quest, they, they, you know, we know there's something special. Um, so, yes, these two guys, uh, Fink Angel and then later Rat Fink, I think do carry on the tradition very well. They're both, um, they both originate in the Cursed Earth. They don't mess about. They're, they're amoral. They're very conniving and they're very interesting. And then they've, they've got an immediate look. I mean, you know, all of the angel gang and I had a pop at Link Angel earlier on, but all of them have got a very specific, immediately recognizable look, even Link with his um, nose ring and his, his sort of uh, Tom of Finland uh, leather, leather cap. Um, so yeah. And then, and then Ratfink as well, um, when he turns up, I mean, he's the most vicious of the, of the group, which is saying something, uh, given that we've had junior angel, 
and and but again, he's he's quick witted. He is driven by an incredible force of will. He's very conniving, and he almost uh, well. I mean, he does because he's he's even though he's so dastardly, because he's so clever, he really earns our respect for his criminal um, antics. So we'll come back to the criminal antics of Ratfink in a moment. Mm-hmm. What about the second story from the classic era, Destiny's Angels from 1982, where they again managed to bring back an element of the Angel Gang? What did you make of that story? I, it's, it's my least favourite of the four. However, that is a sort of damnation by Frank Prez, isn't it? Or the opposite. Um, it is still a damn good story. Uh, it's just because the other three are just almost perfect. Um, but definitely, I mean, again, this is, this is what Dread's all about. Um, it can mix, you know, uh, horror and genuine fear and genuine uh, trepidation uh, from everybody in it. But also, uh, you can have anytime Mean Machine Angel is, is on the page. It takes a lighter tone, but it's so well-crafted uh, together that, um, that actually it, it, it works. It can be uh, a straight revenge play with an antagonist who is incredibly angry all the way throughout and single-mindedly focused on getting, getting their revenge. And then within it, you could have this preposterous character like Me Machine, who's, uh, who's almost chewing the furniture every time he's, uh, you know, he's on the page. Of course, as you say, this is the story that brings, brings back Mean Machine and also Owen Chrysler, the Judge Child and Grunwalder. And it gets a chance for sort of like, uh, to resolve some of their stories as well. And of course, it's all done with Carlos Esquerra artwork as well, which is just beautiful to behold. It's John Wagner, I think, getting to play a little bit more with some of the characters from the Judge Child quest, which just seems... Um, I mean, it might be the less of the four stories, but it just seems like a bit of fun along the way, doesn't it? Oh, for, for sure. And and yes, I mean, it's 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 great uh, fan service. So this came a couple of years, I think, after The Fink, and we get to see Owen Chrysler again. And we get to see, yeah, as you say, we get to see Grunwalder, we get to see um, Xanadu again. And of course... Um, mean Machine as well. So, yes, I mean, I mentioned about the no resurrection policy in 2000 AD and Grant and Wagner managed to swerve it by bringing a fifth um, uh, angel into it to, to, to bring us back to the, um, the angel gang. But actually, they break the rule uh, in, 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 in this one. And they do actually bring a character, Mean Machine Angel, back from the dead. And uh, there's a lovely panel in Destiny's Angels where one of Grunwalder's... Um, companions is second guessing the decision to bring me machine back to life and he says why the regenerating elixir alone cost you a fortune to obtain now maybe i'm reading a bit too much into this but i think that sounds like grant and wagner are saying to the reader we're doing this at an enormous cost to our reputations but it's going to be worth it because you know this is grunwalder's um guy is like almost looking looking out of frame to the uh to the to the reader but you know it works really well and of, and of course you know um me machine's been with us since and he's he's been in the meg and in the prog i don't know 25 30 times since and he's well loved and he you know he he functions incredibly well within the dread universe so i mean i'm, I'm not particularly um fundamentalist about about no resurrections but i if i were even if i were i would forgive them the resurrection of uh, Me Machine, because yeah, we get to see him again. We get to see Owen Chrysler. We get to see the Grinwilder. We get to revisit that, and you know, it's something that we'll continue to do. I mean, 
2008 went back there with the City of the Damned. It went back there in the uh, 2150. You know, it's it's clearly this is uh, fertile ground to, to to plow, and it's you know it's 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 still a great story. And of course, as we've said, Judge Dredd allows the writers to do all these different kind of stories. We've had, as I call it in our notes, high crimes and misdemeanors uh, in the earlier Judge Cal stories, and later on in the. Uh, the tour of duty story and then of course you get some cursed earth craziness along the way yes and you know it's uh, it's great stuff those are the black and white stories we got a couple we get the color splash pages the two uh, opening pages of each episode but mostly in black and white art and then we're going to switch to what we'll call the modern era uh tell us about the two stories ratfink and then ratfink's revenge Okay, so, uh, I mean, I, I thought about how much spoilering I wanted to do, and I think that it's, it's kind of fine for us to do um, spoilers for, for stories that are 40 and sort of 40, 38 years old. I, th- I think that's, that's okay, isn't it? I'm more reluctant to, um, to spoil uh, the rapping stories because they're, you know, they're, they're only a decade old or so. But also, I would like everybody to, to, um, who hasn't read it to experience uh, the first story, which is just called Ratfink, uh, in the same way that, that I did. Uh, and it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a real um, right turn uh, from the first two. The first, so the first two, I mean, this is something that you asked me in uh, the, the last time that we spoke, where uh, you asked me um, to compare Chief Judge Sinfield to uh, Chief Judge Cowell and asking if a more nuanced Sinfield reflected a more sophisticated managerial aspect to politics. And I think this is a, a similar situation. I mean, there's definitely horror in the original Fink stories, and there's a couple of pretty gruesome episodes within them, well, within both of them, really. Um, but there's also, somehow, there's also a breezy air to both of those stories. All the violence is at something of a remove. But now, 30 years later, um, well, let's face it. I mean, the reading demographic is quite a bit older than it was uh, back in the day. And, and media in general has embraced darker themes. So it's not surprising to me that both the Meg and 2000 AD have explored from time to time very dark places. And this is exactly what Raffin does. So this starts out in The Cursed Earth. Um, a lot of the, it's a long story. Probably half of it takes place at night, you know, as if, as if The Cursed Earth wasn't already a more, you know, a brutal environment enough. It's at night and there's all sorts of horrors moving around in the dark. The daytime episodes, um, probably half of those are in torrential rain. Um, so there's just no letter from the cursed earth. And then within all of this, you get this, this grotesque character, uh, Ratfink, who I think in, in one of the, one of the original, um, well, actually it's in the original page, isn't it? Of Ratfink. Um, there's a little box out that says um, Ratfink. Let me see if I can find it. It says, where is it? It says, Ratfink, a creature who is capable of the, of the sickest acts, the vilest perversions. And <laughs> frankly, it goes downhill from there. I mean, there is, some, there is just viciousness. And, and as I said, there's, there's, there's violence in all these stories. But, but again, there's, there's, because it's a comic mood and because it's, um, you know, there's there's a payoff, and you can see, um, you can almost see what what's what's going to happen, and and obviously Dread has got plot armor. Uh, but in this one, I legitimately thought anybody is game, anybody's going down here. Um, Ratfink is so formidable, and he's so 
amoral, immoral, really, um, in, in what he does. And he seems to, and, you know, I don't know, the, the story starts with a couple of just innocent, nice people being brutally taken out. Now, I've got to say, the first time I read this, which was in this volume, I had to put it down midway through. I mean, I don't consider myself a particularly sensitive guy or particularly thin-skinned, but I was so disturbed by this that I had to put it back on the shelf, gave myself a day, and then came back to it. I mean, it is a superb story, a riveting story. You know, I've read it four or five times since, um, but I still get a, it's a real weird aura of sort of nastiness that just pervades this whole this whole chapter, this whole story. So we'll give the little content advisory to say that the story uh, Ratfink deals with um, some implied sexual violence, let's say that, because one of the characters is abducted. Uh, what, do you remember what I wrote down her name? Epiphany Roskill. That's it. The Literally, the Epiphany Roskill is abducted, and it's implied very strongly that she is raped by Ratfink. Uh, although, thankfully, we don't get to see the rape on camera, as it were. Now, we know that John Wagner can write incredibly dark, um, gritty violence. I'm thinking of A History of Violence, which became the movie that he wrote, um, which is a very dark story. And this is one of the darker dread stories. Like yourself, I read it again and thought... Oh, yes, I remember this story really disturbed me and unsettled me because Ratfink is a vicious character who does vicious things throughout this story. Yeah, quite. And, and I mean, unlike his, well, he's his a mild spoiler, but I think we're going to get to it anyway. Unlike his dad, his father, the Fink, I mean, you, you get the, I mean, you know, we all know that the Fink waylays travelers at, at, um, at watering holes and he poisons them and then he, pops up and, and, and takes their goodies. And that's basically how he survived in the Curse of Earth for so long. Um, but you, you sort of get the feeling with the Fink that he just does it to get, just to get from day to day. He just, I need this many calories in my diet or I need, I need a new knife. So I'll waylay somebody and I'll, I'll take the food and move on. Whereas, I mean, there's just a very unsettling, unnerving uh, aspect to Ratfink that he's doing it because he enjoys it. He's also, he lives a lot of time in his own head. I mean, in this story, he, you, you know, as you say, he, he abducts this um, poor young girl, Epiphany. And then he starts to refer to her, you know, immediately within an hour as his wife, my beloved wife, you're my wife. And you get the feeling this guy's convinced himself. He's, he's not deranged. I mean, I think he is deranged, but he's not, he's not, you know, mad. He's sort of, he's convinced himself that he is married to this, this poor woman and they are making home together. And then when he attacks other people in the story, he does it in really vicious ways. He's not, you know, again, Rat Fink, uh, Fink Angel will just come out of the shadows, boom, uh, hit somebody with the all-purpose um, pison and pison and job done. Whereas... Ugh, I mean, you know, Ratfink seems to enjoy torturing people and and really drawing out the the nastiness as well. It's it's really disturbing. And you know, one of the questions I posed in our notes was about the violence in Judge Dredd in a weekly comic. And you mentioned that there's some horrific moments. Fink Angel is depicted as a sort of horror 
film looking character the sort of zombie-esque mm. character i particularly remember from the first story the moment when hershey is paralyzed on the conveyor belt heading towards the recyc- the the recycle crushers and grinders i've always found that sort of like quite you know quite disturbing anybody who's been bothered by sleep paralysis or something like that yeah. knows that sort of feeling of horror of being conscious but not able to actually move and of course, dread kills people left, right, and centre, and we sort of accept it. In this story, we get much more sort of, uh, I don't know, harsh realities. I think there might be the question I'm sort of coming towards is: Is there a line that is almost too much for a comic reader? And does this story get close to that line um, at some points? I don't know whether there is. There is a, well, I mean, if there is a line, it's, it's constantly being pushed. And I think we're definitely closer. Yeah. I mean, something I've noticed, um, yeah, in the, in, in 2008 and, and the Meg, uh, of late is that, I mean, it, it's, it's not, it's not all the time and it's not, it's not overly overused, but there's, there's swearing in some of the stories, which again, I, you know, I don't think even think would be allowed 30 years ago and I, I wouldn't have expected it. And I don't, I, you know, I wouldn't have welcomed it 30 years ago. Now, you know, this is, it's, that's part of life. And I'm, I'm sort of glad that, you know, they're not using drock and grud. You know, there are actually proper, proper uh, English language swear words. And so, you know, I think this is, this is okay to sort of explore this because, you know, this is a, it's a brutal world we live in. And these are, these are the realities. I mean, it, have we crossed the line? I, I don't think so. I think, I think we're just this side of it. I don't know what the line would be. I mean, I remember a couple of months ago, there was something, uh, somebody started a, a thread in one of the forums saying, what's the most disturbing uh, thing you've ever read in, in, um, in 2008, the Meg? And my contribution was, well, what we're just talking about now, the first time Ratfink turned up, but also that one-off that you um, uh, discussed on the podcast a couple of months ago, uh, the one-off Absalom story called Dirty Postcards um, from an annual a few years ago, which, I mean, I adore it as a story. It's a beautifully encapsulated um, in-and-out, done-in-one episode that also fits into the wider Absalom canon. But it does deal with basically a, a pederast, you know, and I thought that as, as gritty and ho- as horrible as that is, um, I think that's worth exploring and it was explored really nicely. It wasn't gratuitous at all. Um, and there was some, some attempted sexual violence there. Again, I thought it was handled really nicely. So yes, I don't know whether it's subject matter that is, I don't think that's beyond the line, but yes, I mean, I, I hope that Tharg does kind of put the foot down if there is anybody trying to take it in a gratuitous manner and just doing it for kicks rather than doing it as, I don't know, social commentary is not quite right, but for social commentary reasons. I mean, it, it, is, it is the modern dread. Dread deals with much more modern concerns now as the comic has grown up and the character has grown up. Um, you mentioned uh, the sort of noir aspects of the story and that a lot of it takes place at night and if it's not nighttime, it's raining. And we've got Pete Doherty's art, which is a contrast from the earlier stories in that he seems to give us a much more dogged, 
grim, gritty dread. Everything looks a bit more real world and uh, grubby around the edges. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's you know we shouldn't get get away from the fact that it's a terribly gripping story, and there's a genuine threat in there and a genuine tension as to who's going to succeed without any spoilers. So yeah, I mean, I like I I like what you said about the noir aspects of the story. I do wonder about how comfortable we are with the level of violence in dread comics and what sort of cartoon violence we'll accept but whether you know when it gets to more real world stuff it becomes much more disturbing it's interesting that you put the book aside for a moment um because you needed a break from it <laughs> it's a it's a it's that sort of story isn't it uh, to- totally totally and 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 you know as you say i mean the following story ratfink's revenge is probably on a body count probably more violent and then even weirdly in in some of the uh some aspects of of the violence it's it's probably more gruesome but again i don't know whether it's trevelyan's art i don't know whether it's um alan grant who does a good line in in he did you know he does the mix of um drama and comedy very well so i don't know whether it's his writing but i didn't feel disturbed at all in in the second ratfink story it's it's it just breezed along and i i obviously just just sort of uh, took that in my stride, but I, I don't know what's going on uh, in the in the first uh, Ratfink story. It is thoroughly, thoroughly disturbing. So Ratfink's Revenge by Alan Grant and Tin and Trevelyan. There's Tin and Trevelyan who, of course, did the art on that Dirty Postcards Absom story that you just mentioned. And it is, as you say, um, it ups the violence, it ups the body count, it includes cannibalism, um, strangely, I found it less disturbing than the Ratfink story. We'll perhaps mention the mirroring because it does, of course, feature dread strung up upside down, as we'd seen in Destiny's Angels. Of course, being dread, the helmet never comes off. I don't know how he keeps the helmet on upside down, but... Uh... Well, Judge Leon manages to keep his helmet on upside down as well, doesn't he? This is true, yes. Those dredge helmets, they obviously stay on, don't they? Obviously, so in the because uh, in the first one, the Fink, Judge Hershey is is strung upside down and, and she is without helmets. So I don't know whether it's, is, is it the new helmet design from 30 years later? But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's got some kind of memory foam inside. I don't know. Yeah, probably. So anyway, I mean, it's terrific fun, that one. Um, and again, the slightly more cartoony, uh, look of Tien and Trevelyan's art um, in some ways makes it seem a slightly lighter story after what's just come. But it's um, it's an interesting parallel to those two earlier stories which you pointed out, the fact that they almost mirror each other and it's a clever choice by Keith, which I hadn't really spotted until you mentioned it actually, Giles. So yeah, interesting stuff. Okay, so let's move on to slightly easier territory and just talk about the artwork as a whole throughout the four stories. Because yeah. we've got two of the greats. We've got McMahon and Escara at the start. We've got Pete Doherty, who we haven't really talked about much on the podcast, and then, of course, Tin and Trevelyan to finish us off. What did you make of all the artwork throughout the book, and what's your favourite? Well, you know, I, I almost feel sorry for Pete Doherty in this volume because he's up against one the guy that invented Dread, to the first artist to draw Dread, and then Tien and Trevelyan, who's absolutely nobody's fool. Um, and I, I, I'll admit that the first time I read Rat Fink, which is his story, I felt a little bit let down by the art. But actually on rereading, I think his, his, sort of, his style is like quite spare and unflashy. 
And if you couple that with the muted, almost washed out colors, I think it really suits the Cursed Earth. And I really think it really suits the story. Plus, he creates a costume designer, a, a look for Rat Fink that I think is just great. I mean, it contains a lovely nod to the Fink um, in, in the fact that he's got, uh, he wears a bowler hat. But at the same time, he's very individual. He sort of wears these bandages wrapped around his arms and legs. He's got lank hair. He's got really thoroughly disgusting teeth. I mean, it's all, it's all really fabulous. Yeah, and uh, of course, I mean, um, you know, who can, I mean, what, what more can we say about, um, about uh, uh, King Carlos? And then um, as far as uh, McMahon goes, um, I mean, it is, it is kind of amazing that... Um, because uh, he obviously invented the Fink. And I know that John Wagner famously gives very spare description notes for his stories. And I would just love to see what he and Alan Grant wrote down on paper for this, for this first story. I mean, did they just write something like, I don't know, skeletal, hunched shoulders, bowler hat, rat companion, and let uh, McMahon take care of the rest? Because, I mean, he is straight out of the box he is an incredible uh creation he's like that that joan baez lyric about uh bob dylan he burst on the scene already a legend i mean just look at look at that picture on the front of the collection he's this stooped character who's like cadaverous green skin he's just wearing a thong and a pair of moccasins he's got a, a knife strapped to one thigh a, a pizen bottles uh to the other one he's got no nose he's got uh you know you can see his teeth. He's wearing a bowler hat. And then, hold on, what's that on his shoulder? It's a rat. My God, the rat's wearing a bowler hat as well. I mean, this is just amazing design. I don't know how, who came up with this. I presume it's majority Maman, but that is, that is astonishing to, uh, to, get it, to get it that good straight out the box. And something I also like about Fink Angel is that he benefits from being believable within the bounds of of our world i mean it's entirely possible that i mean i don't know how how old is fink angel when we meet him let's say he's 35 years old it's entirely possible that if you've grown up in a medium level radioactive environment for 35 years and you're drinking brackish water and you're eating scraps where you can find them and you're living in a hole in the ground you'd have discolored sallow skin you would have lost your nose somewhere along the way you would have a severe case of gingivitis, you know, you'd be impervious to the, uh, the bite of a cursed earth rat. I mean, it's just, um, it's just amazing. And then, and then of course, I think, again, I, I, I'm imagining that Wagner didn't really give uh, many notes to, uh, to Doherty. So absolute thumbs up to him for coming up with somebody who, uh, as I said, just gives a little bit of a nod to his dad, but is entirely uh, his own creation in, in his, in his look. Um, it's great character design throughout, really, isn't it? And as you say, um, a lot of it must be with the artists being allowed to just come up with the character designs and then direct the action, which Carlos was always such a fan of. You know, he was the director. John just gave him the script. So, yeah, fascinating. Um, you know, black and white McMahon art, black and white Oscar art, and then we've got Doherty and Trevelyan in full colour. Although the, Tre- the Pete Doherty story is sort of... Uh, it's got that noirish sort of palette, isn't it? Slightly dulled hues compared with a bit more. Yeah, a real limited palette and sort of I mean, pastel is not quite right, but yeah, really, really sort of muted. Um, if if I may, Eamon, I'll just um, I'll go back to one of the 
the panel. So it's not going to be um, one of my Braille pages, but there is probably my favorite panel from this entire run is on um, page. I mean, I know the the uh, the print uh, the print never gives you page numbers, but uh, in the in the first story by Mick McMahon, uh, it's page nineteen on. Uh, on the thing it's chapter i think it's chapter two so this is just after uh, the fink has um broken out of he's on the run from the judges and he jumps on the side of um uh a, a truck to, uh, to 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 make his getaway and and the, the the poor sap um inside there who's who actually gets a name check frank um sees fink and 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 ratty on the uh, you know hitching a ride illegally on the side of his his um his truck and uh he he spots them and then fink spots him spotting them and he he he's oh dang he's he's seen us and then the next frame you get what in cinema you'd call uh extreme close-up and you get let's say two-thirds of fink's face and two-thirds of ratty's face on the other side of him like really squeezed in and you get you know fink's lovely just dead eyes ratty is on a mission those lovely, horrible, horrible teeth, and just think, just saying, fix him, ratty boy. And then, of course, ratty goes up and, and, and bites, bites Frank, and it, it's, it's lights out. But my God, that, uh, that frame is, uh, is chilling and a masterpiece from uh, McMahon. It's lovely stuff, actually, isn't it? It is just, yes, uh, if we can have a grail panel, then you can have that one as well. <laughs> Um, before I ask you which is your favourite or which is the best story in the volume, let's do the Grail pages then. Let's have a couple of Grail pages from these uh, four wonderful artists we've got. What are you going to pick? Well, I mean, at the risk of um, committing blasphemy against King Carlos, um, I don't think he draws Fink nearly as well as Mick McMahon. I mean, Mick's Fink is way more menacing and grubby. But I think the best single page in the collection is within Destiny's Angels. It's page 50, and it's uh, midway through. And what I love about it is um, in one page, it tells a complete story. So this is right after. So uh, the Finkers busted out of jail. And the first thing he, he does is he makes some poison, of course. But then the second thing he does is he goes to, okay, I've got, I've got to go and find Ratty. I've got to have a little um, a reunion with my, uh, with my mate. And so he goes to recycle and the previous page um, he's looking in recycle. And of course, you know, what, what, what would we do as well? He just yells out ratty. And then, you know, the next frame you see, you see ratty for the first time in years and his ears prick up as if to say, Hey, who's this guy? Uh, I recognize this voice. So the next frame, and then he's being, and he starts to get chased by a couple of security guards. So my page, page 50 starts out with this lovely uh, three quarter length shot of, um, of the fink whizzing off a, a, a pizzen ball at one of the guards, hits him straight on in the face, boom, dead. And then the guard's mate um, says, murdering scum, you'll die for that, and, and takes aim at the Fink. And Fink's kind of cornered. You see, think, all right, it's lights out for him. But then enter stage left, Ratty comes in, bites the guy, a box out. The bite of a cursed earth rat is fatal. And then a beautiful Tom Frame crump as, as this poor sap Hits, hits the ground. And then, I mean, <laughs> you just, just to finish off the whole episode, you get a double panel, a double width panel reunion between, <laughs> for the first time in three years, um, uh, the Fink and Ratty, who were like having a little kiss and a cuddle and like, hello, it's me again. 
amazing. That's like a one act play in a single page. It's Carlos rocking it. And it's, uh, you know, it's a really nice, nice bit of action as well. Excellent. Wonderful storytelling, as always, by Carlos uh, and beautiful black and white art. So we'll give you that page, Giles, first of all, for the Grail Page Gallery. Uh, You've got another one as well. As a side note, sorry to interrupt, um, the previous page that I talked about with him calling out Ratty and then Ratty perking his ears up, uh, which is Prog 283, page 9, is currently available for sale on artdroids.co.uk. Now, Current asking price is £1,250. So I don't know what uh, currency you use for these um, these Grail pages, Eamon. Are they Clark credits? Uh, yeah, think, virtual megacity credits. Virtual, <laughs> virtual megacity credits. So you'd have to stump up twelve fifty or thereabouts for this uh, right. for this page I've just, uh, I've just asked for. Lovely. Oh, fantastic. Okay. What about turning to the later stuff? Um, what were you going to pick there? Uh, yes. Yeah, so my, my other one is, um, so again, this is towards the end of Ratfink's Revenge. Um, it's page 165. This is um, uh, building, it's the action is building towards a climax. And, and what's great about this is that uh, Tim Trevelyan starts off very just straight um, four, five, six panels per page, all, all square panels. But then as the action's building, he starts to slice up his pages in some really crazy ways. There's all, there's Dutch angles going on. There's alinear panels smashing into each other. There's trapezoids. There's like arrow shapes. It's, it's just nuts. And on this one, page 165, is, it's only got four panels, but they are just beautifully arranged. I mean, Ratfink at this point has captured Dread, as you say. He's hogtied him. And Dredd is hanging upside down, awaiting his fate. And Ratfink decides to set his horde of rats on, on Dredd. So there's two square panels at the top. And then there's this wonderful chevron that pushes the fourth panel into the frame above it as the rat horde attacks Dredd. I mean, the art is amazing. The rats look suitably disgusting. And there's even a nice callback, weirdly, to that moment that you mentioned earlier on, the... Um, because there's a thought bubble from Dread as he's hanging upside down and he's probably got 15 rats on him and there's maybe another 30 waiting to jump on him. They're, they're clawing and they're, they're gnawing away everywhere. And Dread just as a little quiet thought bubble and he's saying, Grud, I can't see any way out of this. And I think that directly mirrors Hershey in the original Fink story where she's about to be sliced apart on the recycle conveyor belt where you just get a, a thought bubble from her. She's seconds away from death and, and she just says, what a crazy way to go. And I just think Dredd and Hershey, they're 30 years apart, they're in the same situation, and they face it with the same stoicism. I mean, it's, it's really, really something. But yeah, that page is awesome in and of itself, but also as a callback to uh, the first Pink story, you know, top marks. Fantastic. It is a wonderful page and a beautiful layout by Tiern and Trevelyan. Uh, and as you say, that wonderful sort of panel at the bottom that's almost intruding on the panel above it uh, with dread in dire straits hanging there. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. So I will post those images when this episode comes out and they become yours in the virtual uh, Grail page gallery for the, um, the imaginary credits that we have to spend on them. I shared this image with you before because I'm going to mention that I do actually have a page from this book. Incredible. 
Yeah, I don't know quite. I'm not quite sure how, but I have a Carlos Esquerra page. It's the only Carlos Esquerra Judge Dredd page that I own. And it is the fourth page from the first episode of Destiny's Angels. And it has Dredd on the page. It has Owen Chrysler, uh, the Judge Child on the page. It's got the far across the galaxy on the planet Xanadu, a child laughed softly. So it's it's um it's perhaps not maybe as great as some of the Carlos pages, but it is uh it does have Judge Dredd and the Judge Child on the same page. So I'm very happy to own that. And um, I'm gonna post that one when it comes out as well. Um a bit of luck on my part. Yes, really, really great. I mean that that is I mean of course anything by um by Carlos is superb. Anything with this much legacy is great but then also i mean look at that there's a little circle out of uh, <laughs> of owen chrysler doing his usual ridiculous sort of pantomime villain thing where he goes dread and his doom will come together i mean what a, i mean if anybody invites hubris more than the judge child i'd like to meet them i mean this this arrogant spoiled brat i mean just deserves i mean what's what's great about it is that we a little bit like max bubba we got to see him die not once but twice. So yeah. <laughs> he, frankly, he frankly deserved them. He deserved both of them. And uh, we'll also give you that Mick McMahon panel, I think, on its own as well of the close-up of uh, um, Fink and then Ratty because um, that's just so lovely as well. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. This is uh, yeah very generous today. So we think, I mean, we, you know, I'm interested in what you said about Keith's work on choosing these stories and putting them together. Good job, Keith. If you had to pick the best of the four stories, I've sort of avoided the word favourite, because you know, because some of them are a bit grim. But which is the best story of the four? Um, I think, I don't know, I'm, I'm old school. I might just have to go with the first one. Right. I might just have to go with the Fink, because it's, it's, it's a beautiful way of reintroducing uh the angel gang and they did it uh in a in a, in a very clever way without cheating but there's also and there's he's a beautifully realized character he's genuinely excellent the the ending is excellent but also within it uh i think this might be my favorite moment in the entire um collected edition we get in chapter three an angel family history so we get um as as uh the Fink is having a moment to himself and he's waiting for dark when he's got, he's kidnapped uh, Barbara Hershey and he's waiting until the, uh, the sun sets. Uh, he gets a little introspective moment where he's thinking about growing up, you know, what it was like to grow up. And it's just a wonderfully succinct piece of writing. We get to see how Fink becomes the Fink, how the Angel family gel together. We get Junior's birth and even better, cherry on the cake, we get Mean Machine Angel's origin story, which is amazing. And all of these things take place in three and a half pages. It's just really, really wonderful um, storytelling. Uh, it's great storytelling by, by the guys, Grant and Wagner, and it's, uh, it's handled with aplomb by, um, by Mick McMahon. Um, I mean, I also really love it just as a moment. I love uh, Ratfink's Jailbreak. Incredibly clever. I don't know why nobody's thought of something like this before or since i mean it's a little bit fantastical but really believable i mean it is it is you know a sort of multifaceted jailbreak that comes out of nowhere you, you and it's also you know the reader isn't is included into what's happening until until the uh the jail is quite literally broken but yeah so i think that's my favorite but actually i mean again all right my favorite moment is is that but actually i think my second favorite moment comes within the um the doherty story 
uh, in Ratfink, which is really quite tender. And I know, and I know, I mean, it almost sounds insane to say that within a story as dark as Ratfink, but it's when Ratfink has been captured and the judges are clearing out his hovel and Dredd and Ratfink are sitting together and Dredd says, it's just a really quiet time. And Dredd says, I knew your father, Ratfink. And it's a surprisingly warm moment within all the horror. I mean, I know that Dredd is trying to extract information from him and sort of trying to, to get the better of him. But I think he like, you know, Dredd's sitting down on a rock, Ratfink's, um, you know, bound up and just to say, and he, you know, he re- he remembers his dad. He remembers his name, his dad's name. It's, it's, uh, it's amazing. It's a, a really amazing moment. Fantastic. What a, what an interesting volume you picked. And I'm, you know, now I know why you picked this one particularly. Um, I guess if we were going to point our listeners more angel gang, they'd have to go back to the original judge child quest, this might be spoilers for upcoming episodes, but have you got any other particular favourite volumes which you think work particularly well uh, in terms of the selection of stories? Um, the sele- no, I think I really think this is almost unique. I mean, I've got a couple of, yeah, I mean, the the, the Hamlins and the and the uh, Rebellion stuff that I have is just usually straight runs. Oh, I tell you what, I did get actually that was. Um, that I just finished reading was again in the humble bundle collection that was out a couple of months ago. I picked up the Cape and Cowl Crimes, which right. is yes. a collection of I don't know, basically costumed crusaders who have come to Mega City One in one form or another. And there's a lot of comic stuff in there, and there's a lot of um, there's a, a few quite sad stories in there. And then there's in the middle of it there's a Marauder, which was Dreadverse but not actually Dread. Uh, Ten parter from um, from the Meg a few years back, which I know um, a couple of people are, are kind of lukewarm about and think it's sort of overstated. It's welcome, but I think that one um, it really dealt with. You know, that's you know really dealt with those um, those stories. Some of them going way back to sort of prog 110, and then others that are like you know from like two or three years ago or two or three years before it was published. Uh, and I, so I think that one's very good. And then uh, what, what else came out? Uh, what was it called? The one that came out two years ago from Rebellion. Uh, Nobody Apes the Law as well. Oh, right. Yes, yes. It's got, it's got all the um, Harry, help me out, Eamon. What's uh, Harry's name? The Oh, gosh. Uh, is he Harry Heston? Or... Harry Heston. Very good. So it's yeah. Harry Heston um, uh, stories. And then it's got Chaos at Charles Darwin block. It's got the original uh, Ugo Apollino stories. It's got one or two other uh, uplift stories as well so i think those two are i mean again they're a lot more comic although harry heston is quite plays it quite straight all the time so you know it's obviously we're, we're asked to believe that a, that an ape that a silverback could be uh, uplifted to have the intelligence and, and the wherewithal the humans do but within that plays it straight and the ugo apolinos are just uh you know very tongue-in-cheek but i think that those two work really well so uh, nobody hates the law and Cape and Cowl crimes do very well. Very nice. I'm interested in this this sort of new category of uh, uh, sort of mixed bag collections um, instead of straight runs. Okay, we may. Who knows? We may come back to one in the future. 
So Think Angel Legacy is available for $14.99 paperback or $9.99 digitally, and I guess we're really going to heartily recommend it, um, particularly for the interesting choice of stories, the uh, the sort of pairing, and some great artwork in there as well. Thoroughly, thoroughly. As you can tell, hopefully, from my my enthusiasm over the last uh, hour, that uh, yeah, I wholeheartedly recommend this to anybody who hasn't picked it up. Great stuff, Giles. Thank you so much for picking it and coming back on the book club. Um, guest projects time. Have you got? Uh, are you still doing the blog? Uh, the blog still exists, but I um, no, I've just been so busy with work uh, the last um, the last year that it uh, it doesn't. And you know, frankly, I always feel like such a chump when I hear you ask this question because you always get you know you get writers and letterers and and colorers on the blog on on the uh, the podcast and you get people who write blogs or academic papers for uh, about comic books for universities and i always just think side projects uh, no not really uh, i just <laughs> i just really love uh 2000 AD and um and the meg but actually there is one thing that i'll say um that this isn't the only broadcast i'm doing this month, so uh, about a, two years ago, so um, a year before I was last on on uh, the podcast, um, I started a company with a um, with a partner of mine in Dubai, and uh, it uh, makes digital menus and um, table ordering for restaurants and cinemas and coffee shops, beach clubs. You can pay on the phone. You can filter the menu. You can uh, get it in different languages. Um, and we got approached by uh, CNN. Um, who are doing a documentary about um, companies that have flourished during lockdown. Um, so we filmed that last month. I thought it was going to be a 90-minute, uh, sorry, 90-second piece. Turns out it's going to be a half-hour documentary, which is going out uh, in all 200 um, of CNN's territories over the month of um, September and October, But which is kind of amazing. But I will say this, hand on heart, Eamon, I am way more excited about being on the Mega City Book Club uh, a podcast <laughs> than I am going on CNN. I mean, who wants to hear me blather on about um, my company when I could be talking about Dreadverse and, uh, yeah. The Fink. The Fink and his legacy. And a little rat with a little bowler hat. Oh, R.I.P. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Great stuff, Giles. Well, we'll look out for that as well. And thank you again for suggesting this book and getting back in touch to come on the book club. Well, thank you very much. As I said, a real genuine pleasure to be back. Yeah, I've had a lot of fun doing my homework on this. And uh, yeah, today's been a delight. Thank you very much. I look forward to your next selection. And thank you to everyone for listening to Mega City Book Club. As ever, find all the links at megacitybookclub.com. Follow the podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, and the 2080 forums. Or email me, mcbcpodcast at gmail.com, if you want to get in touch with a book suggestion or any comments or other thoughts about the podcast. And that'll do us, Giles. Until next time, when we're passing judgment on another great book, it's goodbye from me and from Dubai. Goodbye from me. Wow.